0: Jesus gave us a pattern for prayer that we now tend to call the Lord's Prayer and we've been going through it for a couple of months now and we've got to the end of our series this morning and I want to end that series by learning a bigger lesson about prayer that Jesus was giving. Learn a bigger lesson Jesus was giving to help us in our prayers. Now, If you're not interested in praying, if you think, why would I want to learn about the Lord's Prayer? Let me give you some other reasons to listen. Maybe you're not interested because you say, well, church is full of hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with that. Well, we'll hear what Jesus has to say about hypocrites. Maybe you think, why would I be interested in prayer? Religion is just these brainless rituals. I don't want that. Well, we'll hear what Jesus has to say about brainless religious rituals. First of all, the Lord's Prayer comes in in a section of teaching in Matthew chapter 6. Let's turn to it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Let's see the theme of this section of teaching Jesus was giving. I think it will be very clear by just spotting a word that keeps coming up. So, for example, verse 1, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Or jump onto verse 4, where Jesus tells us if you're giving money, do it secretly, not showily. So that your giving may be in secret, then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Or just go on to verse 6, where Jesus tells us how to pray. And says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Or just two verses on at verse 8, where Jesus has said, don't pray like those pagans, verse 8, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So, verse 9, this is how you should pray, our father in heaven. And then when Jesus has given that prayer, he then says in verse 15, if you do not forgive men their sins your father will not forgive your sins. Jesus also expects his followers to fast, but to not do that in a showy way. And so he says, verse 18, just keep it to yourself, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father, who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, I hope it's been obvious. At the heart of what Jesus preached was having God as your Father. Knowing God as Father is at the heart of what Jesus was teaching. And it is the key to prayer also. Knowing God as your Father. My aim this morning is that you and I should be people who speak to God as our Father. That's the aim. To get us speaking to God as our Father. But that means we need first becoming a child of God. Becoming a child of God. So that's our first section this morning. You need to become a child of God. You see, you need to take seriously this question. Is God your father or your enemy? Please answer that question to yourself, seriously. Is God your father or your enemy? There is no middle option. There's no in-between. It's either one or the other. So is God your father or your enemy? Please answer that to yourself now. You see, merely being born as a human doesn't make God your father, contrary to some hymns that get that wrong. Having Christian parents doesn't make God your father. Being regarded as a generally decent person doesn't make God your father. Being religious doesn't make God, as your, God your father. Why not? Because, as the children were hearing in the children's talks, we've all said, no God, we'll do our own thing. We've turned our back on him. And that has made God, far from our father, our enemy. So how do you become a child of God? Let's turn to a different gospel, John's gospel, and chapter 1 to get the answer. John chapter 1. And I'll read to you verses 10 to 12. John chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, talking about the Son of God. He had God as his Father, the Son of God. And it says, verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, I'm going to try to illustrate for you verse 10 with a true story. This is true. Graham was at church. And outside church were some skateboarding teenagers causing trouble and doing some damage. If I've understood rightly, they were throwing stones at the church windows. What did Graham do about it? He didn't go and drive them away. He didn't sit inside the church grumbling about those hooligans outside. He he went out to them and he invited them in. And at least one of them came in. There may have been more, but there's only one of them that I actually know. Came in. And he kept coming. And he eventually believed the gospel and became a Christian. And he eventually married Graham's sister and became part of Graham's family. It's quite a story, isn't it? All true. Now, here's a better true story. Look out for similarities and differences with Graham's story. We were spoiling God's world with our selfish, anti-God attitude and lives. And God didn't drive us away or stay in heaven and grumble about us. He came to us. God the Son came to earth. Not just to invite us to him, but to take all our guilt, to take the punishment we deserve, to bring us back to God. Now, Graham didn't know he was going to get one of those teenagers in his family. But Jesus came with that exact purpose. To bring us into his family and to make us children of God. That's what Jesus did. What do you need to do? The answer's in verse 12. Have you still got John 1? The answer's in verse 12. Yet to all who received him... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It simply says this, believe who Jesus is. What he tells us about who he is and why he came. That means believing him when he says you need him. This can't be a detached sort of belief, like I believe it's very cold in the Antarctic. Because he says you need him, and if you really believe him... Well then, the verse says, you'll receive him. Do you notice it puts receiving and believing together? If you really believe he's the saviour and the Lord, you'll receive him. You'll say, Jesus, I trust you as my saviour. I need you to save me. And Jesus, I want to live with you as my Lord. Because going my own way has been a right mess. And then, what does God's word say in verse 12? Amazing. You have the right to become a child of God. Not just the option or the possibility, the right to become children of God. The right to call the God of the universe your father. Have I just described you? Have I just described you? Well, you need that first before you can pray in the way Jesus taught. When God is your Father, how will you pray? Let's go back now to Matthew 6, and we'll spend the rest of our time in Matthew chapter 6, seeing how does a child of God pray? So we've had first, becoming a child of God. Now the second thing is, praying as a child of God, not a hypocrite. Praying as a child of God, not a hypocrite. What is praying like a hypocrite? Verse 5. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. Children, back then when Jesus was speaking, there were these religious people and they liked to pray on street corners. Why on street corners? Why do you think they liked praying on street corners? The answer was to get the most possible people noticing how good they were. Go onto a busy street and pray and people will see I'm really religious and good. But then they thought, what's better than praying on a street? Pray on a street corner then two whole streets can see me at once. Let's maximise the show. It's a bit like praying on Epinal Way Roundabout. You get noticed a lot, wouldn't you? Can you imagine standing on Epinal Way Roundabout, praying? There's a lot of people seeing you. Would they think you're really good? I think they'd think you're a nutcase, wouldn't they? People don't do that, do they? Nobody today prays on Epinal Way Roundabout to look good. They'll look crazy. Because praying doesn't get you admired today, sadly. But there's plenty of virtue signalling in other ways. Celebrities and MPs are doing it all the time. Tweeting their support for a good cause. Letting everyone know how much recycling and care for the environment they do. It's it's really our version of what they were doing back then. Virtue signalling. Showing what a good person I am. And there is virtue signalling in church. There is. There's all sorts of things we can do in church to show what good people we are, including praying in a way that's designed to impress others. And Jesus hated such show. Jesus despised such hypocrisy. Jesus couldn't stand such an attitude. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Jesus' strongest words were against people putting on such a show. Religious show. He slated it and he exposed them publicly. We must be horrified at hypocrisy. We, we must be on our guard to check, is there any hypocrisy in me? Any outward show that masks something very different on the inside. Now this can be difficult to work out because we have to admit we all have mixed motives. And we all care what others think about us. Well nearly everyone does. When you meet people who don't they're usually pretty unpleasant to be around. But we all care what others think about us and we all have a mixture of motives but we have to watch that very carefully restrain it because left unchecked you can easily end up in a place where all you care about is what others think and you just leave the sin inside you unrestrained because as long as others can't see it and you end up a hypocrite fight it, kill it Jesus hated hypocrisy. I read an article on Christian leadership once that said, the thing we need our Christian leaders to be is like the TARDIS and the wardrobe in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. What on earth was that going on about? Now, sorry if you don't know what either of those things are. They said, we need our Christian leaders to be like the TARDIS or the Wardrobe in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Now, if you know either of those untrue stories, do you know about those things? They were both bigger on the inside than on the outside. It was an article about Christian leaders, but I think it should be true of all Christians. What do we need to be bigger on the inside than the outside? In other words, better in reality than we appear to be. Here's a prayer to pray. Will you pray... Father, make me better than I appear to be. Make the inward reality better than the appearance. Will you pray that? Wouldn't it be good if here was a room full of people that prayed that and became better in the inward reality than you appear to be? It's a good test of if you're seriously against hypocrisy. If you don't like the sound of that prayer... If you don't like the sound of the outward appearance not being as good as the inward reality, does that say you're more concerned about how you appear than how you really are? Does that say you are a hypocrite? Now, Jesus wasn't afraid to be strongly negative. I know it's unpopular, but Jesus was very negative. But he was also positive. He wasn't just negative, so now's the positive. Don't pray like a hypocrite, but do pray as a child. Verse 6, Verse six. but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here is the positive, lovely alternative. He says, when you pray, it should be it's just you and your father. It's just about you speaking to your father. Imagine a child asking, Dad, can I have some money? Can I have some food? Dad, will you come and play a game with me? Is he doing it to impress others by how well he speaks to his father? <laughs> ridiculous idea. He just wants his dad to give him something. Jesus says, that is what real prayer is like speaking to God as your father. Nothing about impressing other people. And then he says God rewards as a father. Do you see that in verse 6? God rewards as a father. And it's really important that reward is as a father, not as an employee's reward scheme. What's an employee's reward scheme like? Well, the business gives the employee a reward if the employee meets the sales target. In other words, it's about getting something out of the employee. And it's about, is the employee good enough? But God's rewards are nothing like that. No, the model here is a father who delights to give his child a Christmas present. That's the model here. Nothing like an employee's reward scheme. Don't pray like a hypocrite. Pray as a child. Let's get a couple of practical lessons about this. Two practical lessons. Here's one. Get time alone with God. Get time alone with God. Now, in some circumstances and in some stages of life, it's hard. But will you work at getting some time and some space to, on your own, speak to your Father? Oh, you might say, I do so throughout the day. When I'm driving the car, when I'm walking to work, I I speak to him. Yeah, that's good. Keep doing that. But you need more. It's a bit like this. Years ago, when I wasn't married, and my sister was, I remember saying to her, oh, I'll phone you next Tuesday evening. She said, no, you can't. It's, It's my date night with my husband. What are you talking about? You're married. Date night with your husband? Oh yes, we need to protect time together, and we need good, focused time to talk together. What are you talking about? You're always talking to each other. Will you change the baby's nappies? Have you put the bin out? What's for dinner tonight? She said, no, we need we need proper focused time together, to talk together, as well as all that throughout the day stuff. Do you see the model? Yes, that's good. Have all the throughout the day stuff of talking to God. But work at getting that focused, protected time between you and God. That's what verse 6 is telling you to do. Will you do verse 6? Go into your room, or maybe it's not your room, maybe there's somewhere else more suitable. Close the door and pray to your Father, just you and him. Here's another practical lesson. I've just got two on this point. Here's another one. Verse 6 is the key to verse 9. Verse 6 is the key to verse 9. What do I mean? Well, verse 9 is about public prayer. Verse 9, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Verse 9 onwards is about public prayer. And the key to public prayer is the verse 6 private prayer. Why were there only 30 or so people at the prayer meeting last time we had one? And there's probably getting over 200 people here now. Now, many have practical reasons. Children to look after, shift work to do. But I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect, I wonder if this is one of the reasons. Are we praying in private much? Are we getting much of that time, just us and our Father? You see, if we're not, we won't have an appetite for praying together as a church. And it's the praying, just me and my father, that is the driving engine between us praying together as a church. Which, by the way, is the driving engine for the whole work of the church. Last point, let's move on to this. Praying as a child of God, not a pagan. Praying as a child of God, not a pagan. What is a pagan? I don't think I've ever heard that word used outside of church. I've always been a bit confused by it. It is someone who followed one of the non-Jewish religions, one of the idol-worshipping religions. What did they pray like? Verse 7 says, verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, For they think they will be heard because of their many words. They babbled on with lots of words. It wasn't really the repetition that mattered. There are some prayers in the Bible that repeat a lot. You'll find them in the Psalms. The issue was the mindlessness of just repeat, 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 as if my quantity of words will persuade my God to do something for me. Children, do you know the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel? That would be a classic example of this. The priests of the idol called Baal, they danced around chanting and cutting themselves and chanting on and on and on for hours. Why did they do that? Partly they thought we've got to get the right words and say them enough times to make our God give us what we want. And partly it was working themselves up into a religious feeling. Working something up in themselves so they feel this heightened religious feeling. Very odd to us. But we can have our versions that are rather similar. When I was a teenager, and not a Christian, but really serious about becoming one, I used to get booklets that would have a sinner's prayer in the back, because I thought, I must get the right words. Let me get the right words that will persuade God that he's got to forgive me. Very silly, but that's how I was thinking. I've got to get the right words as if I would twist his arm behind his back and make him do something for me. We can be like that. I've got to get the right words. Or some people use the name of Jesus as if it's a magic word to make God give them what they want, especially if they repeat it many times in their prayers. It's a complete twisting of what Jesus meant when he said to pray in his name. His name isn't a magic word to repeat to get what you want from God. Some people treat prayer like a spiritual exercise, like meditation, as if it's about working up our emotions and making us feel spiritual. No, it's not. We're supposed to feel just like a a child talking to our father. Some supposedly Christian books will tell you, has your prayer life been unfruitful? Well, here's the technique to mean that your prayers will be answered. Here's the technique to make your prayer life fruitful. No, says Jesus, verse 8, don't be like any of that, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, Pray as a child speaking to your father. That's what verse eight is. "Don't be like them. Pray as a child speaking to your father. That means prayer is not thinking or meditating to yourself. Those are good. Do them, but they're not prayer. Prayer isn't making meaningless sounds or saying something over and over to get yourself into a height of, a state of heightened emotion. Prayer isn't, I must get the right words. Just like getting the right money in a vending machine. Got to get the right money in, get the right chocolate out. Get the right words in, get the right thing out of God. No. Prayer is being conscious you are speaking to your Father. The most important words in the Lord's Prayer are the first four. Our Father in heaven. I'm now speaking to my Father in heaven. Are you aware of that when you pray? A few weeks ago I mentioned the telephone test, the phone test for this. What's the phone test? What do you do when the phone goes when you're praying? What do you do? Cut off mid-sentence and answer the phone? Because you didn't really have any consciousness that you were speaking to someone. Answer that phone, it might be someone important. (laughs) As if the person you were speaking to was unimportant. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to answer the phone when you are praying, but I am saying it's quite a good test of how aware are you you are speaking to your father in heaven. What's your reaction when the phone goes and you're praying? Let's think about a teenager speaking to her father. Jane wants a phone for Christmas, and so she speaks to her dad. She asks him for, will you get me one for Christmas? She tells him why. And she tells him what she'll use it for, because he wonders. Because phones could be used in all sorts of good or bad ways. And she tells him what to look out for, because she's not so sure that he's well clued up on phones. And teenagers sometimes know better than their parents about phones. Now, how does that compare with praying? How does it compare with praying? Well, we don't need to inform God in our prayers. We don't need to inform him. There is nothing you can ask him about that you'll know more or better than him. But he does want to hear from his child. And he wants to hear that you depend on him. And he wants to hear that you know he is the giver of good gifts. They all come from him. And he wants to hear that that you know he's worth asking. And that you've thought about your request. So bring him reasons, not to inform him, but because it's a child-father relationship. But here's the most important, here's the most obvious thing about the father-child relationship. What is it? Love, surely, hopefully. If it's a good father-child relationship, hopefully love is the most central thing. The child loves the father and wants him to be honoured, I hope. And the child is confident of the father's love and knows I can bring all my needs to him and he'll do what's right. If it's a good father-child relationship, if it's the best father-child relationship, that's what's at its centre, that love. And that two-way love has been behind everything we've learnt over the last couple of months in the Lord's Prayer. Sometime go through the Lord's Prayer and look and see. Behind it is all that love of a child, Father, my one priority, number one priority is your honour and your kingdom and your will. And now I'm going to bring to you my needs because I'm confident you love me and you'll handle my needs just right. Where have we got to? Hypocrisy is ugly. So ugly. Brainless, superstitious religion is so silly. Being a child of God is so beautiful. Knowing he's your father, being confident of his care, being devoted to his honour, that is a beautiful relationship. Is that you? Is that how you pray? Let's pray now.